spread one love, okay? Thanks for tuning in to us, the Eminem Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome back to another super real, zany, who knows exactly where we're going to go episode of the Eminem Show. I am your host, Nikki MG, and I'm here with the one, the only, the fabulous Jay, 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 Jay Mills. That's right, folks. And Molly's going to be joining us momentarily, so we'll get to check in with her. But I'm really, really excited today to introduce to you a very special guest, someone that I have uh, gotten to know over this uh, campaign season and come to respect very, very much. And I'm super excited to work with and continue to work with. Um, I'm happy to introduce to our viewers Marcus Bachelor. Candidate, yes, candidate for the uh, National Committeeman of the D.C. Democratic State Committee, my partner and my slate mate. Marcus, welcome. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes, yes. It's a glorious Tuesday here in the district. You know, so uh, as per usual, I want to start off and just check in with folks. What's new? What's going on? We didn't have a show last week. Uh, we're taking a break. I am now full eight months pregnant. Wow. So um, sometimes I need a nap, um, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, I think last Tuesday was one of those days. So um, I'm really excited to be back. I missed I missed seeing you. Oh, I miss you, too. Yeah. So, Jay Mills, what's what's new? What's been going on over the last couple of weeks? Um, uh, it's been a wonderful time in the district. Uh, shout outs to the DC Growers Cup that was on May 26th. Uh, shout outs to the Can of Cookout that was on May 27th. Uh, shout outs to the Ladies Love Loud Crab Feast. Yes. Full Moon Crab Feast that was on the 27th as well. Going down again June 29th, FYI. Um, and then my birthday, you know, May thirty first. That was pretty dope. I was in Vegas. That was that was cool. How young are you now? I have reached the Jesus year. All um, right. Is that thirty two? Thirty three. Thirty three. Thirty two is the sweet sixteen again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that framing. Yeah. So happy belated birthday, Queen. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It feels weird because I've been 23 for like the past 10 years, nine years yeah. or so. I kind of. You look like it. I've never changed. And now mm. I'm like 33. And it's like, oh, dang. I never even lied to be this old. <laughs> <laughs> but you look fabulous. <laughs> you look fabulous. Indeed. Thank you. I'm I remember when I was 33. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, and Marcus, you are 20 25. Four, 25 now. You're a yeah. 90s kid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. 93. Oh my god. I remember that year. <laughs> Yeah, I 93, was, I was eight years old. It was third grade, I remember. I was in the sixth grade, so. Yeah, 
so uh I was real awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I was being real awkward and gangly and <laughs> Yeah, that was third and fourth grade. That was sixth grade for you. Yeah. We were kids like a mug though, but yeah. you were being born. I was a super kid, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You were uh, learning how to walk and whatnot. Not even. Not <laughs> right. even. It's yeah. more like, oh, you know, we were graduating from high school. He was like. Couldn't even hold my neck up. Like my head up on my neck. I was like. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like with you, as soon as you did learn how to hold up your neck, you were like proclaiming <laughs> oh, <laughs> leadership. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've always been mature <laughs> for I am the age. future. <laughs> you know? I was just. uh um, talking about you the other day, we're in campaign mode, you know, so yeah. I got to talk about how awesome you are and everything. And, and, um, somebody was like, I just can't believe how young he is, you know, like he doesn't have, um, the experience to like know anything. And I was like, man, if, if I wish I was like Marcus, um, when I was his age, if I was doing what Marcus is doing now when I was his age, like I just can't even imagine how much farther and more powerful I would be at this stage in my life, you know, cause I didn't, um, get involved, uh, in a public way with, uh, community engagement with local politics until I was like 28 years old, you know? And so you have been, um, uh deeply it sounds like involved since you were like 18 years old yeah well like 16 15 16 yeah yeah, yeah just really lucky to have people who pulled me in real early and never stopped never stopped going that's awesome yeah. that's a blessing yeah so what's been up with you marcus what's new oh nothing new other than riding this caps bandwagon hey, <laughs> i was in vegas for the caps game and they were so bad when yeah. we won it oh, felt yeah. so good i'm pretty sure i was the only caps fan in the vicinity go yeah, caps right i i don't know i don't even know if i was a caps fan until about three weeks ago but <laughs> i'm all in right now i'm all caps right now go caps yeah that's so funny because uh i was just talking to somebody about uh sports in dc the other day too and um you know someone so we have a friend visiting from out of town and uh uh and um, actually who lives in um, Philadelphia, a family member who lives in Philadelphia. And she was talking about how, you know, Philly just has this real loyalty and excitement and enthusiasm around, you know, their baseball teams and, and football and, and all of that. And um, like people are die hard. And they were saying how it doesn't it doesn't really feel like that in D.C. Mm -hmm. um, and I was saying, well, you know, the Nationals, they're still like they haven't actually been here that long. Um, they've been here a while now and, and we love them. But, uh, you know, I think maybe it takes some some time. And then there's the the for folks who from my understanding who have lived here in D.C. for a long time, there's this. Um, some people are diehard Redskins fans. Other people are like, nah, F them. Um, because the team was like the very last to integrate, you know, in the NFL. And they did Doug Williams dirty. And that, and, uh, and, you know, the stadium is not in DC anymore. So like there's, you know, there's complicated feelings around the team. And then, uh, you know, so DC United though has a really, really strong, uh, 
cadre of people that are like yeah. diehard, the bar brava, you know. Right. So like, I feel like uh, uh, there's a strong culture that's really cool and beautiful around that. But then like with the caps specifically, so every time <laughs> um, I'm downtown and there's a caps game or something, or I'm like riding the metro, it just seems like everyone who goes to the game is going back to Virginia. Like yeah. they don't actually live in the district yeah. you know no, it's, and it's really hard to be diehard if like your teams just don't win like the, right. the, the skins haven't won a super bowl since before i was born 92 yeah dang <laughs> so, so i remember yeah. when they i had the sweatshirt right yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was a big deal <laughs> yeah um the nets look like they will go all the way every year and then I they don't yeah they're cursed yeah. the redskins are cursed the nets are tur- are cursed that should have went to uh, restoring DC General Hospital went to a baseball team. Not touching that. Not touching that. People are too woke in DC for that yeah. kind of shit. <laughs> I'm just for saying. For real. Yeah, no, People no. are aware. People you know? are not forgetting the, the ballpark. No. Nope. No, no, but yeah, people are still angry about that. Yeah. I know? mean, there's no hospital in <laughs> I know. Southeast. Yeah. But there's a baseball stadium that has uh, seasonal low wage jobs for uh, for a lot of people. Hey, hey! <laughs> but go baseball team. Um, but even still, if they actually seem like they would win, people would would join them. Even the Redskins. Like once it seems like they're doing good, people begrudgingly. Oh yeah. DC just wants a sports team. To win, we just want something we can be. We just want to win. We just want to be. We just want to win. Just I don't a win. understand hockey, but I'm rooting for the Caps, though. Yep. Watch the game from beginning to end last night. Well, how are the Wizards doing though? How they been doing? I mean, they're not. They're getting better, but they're not. They, they, they haven't hit their sweet spot yet. Yeah. No. Does uh, Gilbert Arena still play for the Wizards? <laughs> That is how out of tune I have been <laughs> with uh, the Wizards. I'm so embarrassed. Um, but I've been, seriously, I've been under this uh, uh, extreme like laser focus on like workers' rights. You know, so like a lot of things that are relevant to the city over the years have like gone to the wayside in my mind. And uh, the the Wizards and their their status has been one of those things. Sorry, Wizards fans. It's okay. Well, it seems like athletes across the country having some workers rights issues now especially in the nfl so maybe that's something yeah that's crazy (laughs) yeah you know what when i was at um dc jobs with justice this was actually something that that came up in particular um hey hey molly welcome welcome um this the the issue of um like workplace rights or like workers rights athletes rights really um came up in the the student athlete arena um and uh you know it's it's interesting we think about it you know the students especially the the big schools you know they they do generate a lot of money um for the university you know and and work a lot of hours and risk uh um injury you know and um i'm i can't i don't remember like what their actual demands were like what they wanted to see um change but uh i think they maybe did want some compensation or or insurance provision you know or 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 something something like that but i do remember as a kid though um 
Like I loved baseball. Um, I lived in uh, Maryland, so I was Baltimore Orioles fan. There was no Nationals at the time. Um, so even to this day, go O's. But um, I remember, I think uh, the, the first time I, there was a strike, right? Like a, you know, and I just, I didn't understand, you know, at the time what was going on. But I think I understand a little bit more now. And it comes down to the money, right? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. On, on both sides of that yeah. issue, comes down to the money. Always does. <laughs> and every issue. Pretty much. Right. It's all about the Benjamins, baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, welcome. What's up, man? How you doing this glorious uh, Tuesday in the district? I'm good. I'm good. I'm late. I apologize. Sometimes we're all a little late. You know, running around, trying to... Jamming. Yeah, yeah, you know, I yeah, was what's on going my on there? earlier. Oh, as a speaker. Speaker, yeah. yeah. So you can have your own uh, soundtrack. It super helps. I'm yeah. going to walk around work like super that helps. tomorrow. <laughs> what would be on your personal soundtrack? Oh, um, right now, for some reason, and I think this is every guy, but they won't admit it, Booed Up by LMA cannot get out of my head right now. <laughs> it's a good song. It's a really good song. Ooh. Oh, wait, I'm not even going to try it. Her voice and the <laughs> song is so rich and everything, and I just already butchered it. Molly, you're a great singer. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. I heard you can blow. <laughs> <laughs> Feelings. So deep in feelings. Okay, see, they got a lot of jokes right now. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of jokes. Have you ever heard our intro? No. no ah. Eminem. Eminem. <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> Show. There we go. <laughs> yes. yes. Felt that in my chest. Got all the ranges. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is One Love Massive House of Music. So, you know, we get musical in our own unique ways sometimes. Um, Jay Mills actually legitimately gets musical, but me and Molly are definitely not legitimately (laughs) (laughs) getting musical. I've been known to pop G-strings on guitars. I was like, Uh, what is happening? What just happened? (laughs) You guys. So what's new with you, Molly? You know, working a lot. I clean Airbnbs a lot. That's what I do. Yeah. That's what I do. You know, it's a good time to do deep spring cleaning. And every day, four times. Yes. (laughs) I mean, no. No, exactly. (laughs) No. But, you know, I mean, uh, mean, I'm grateful. So I manage four Airbnbs now. Um, The two next door to mitigate the sound complaints and one in my basement and one for a friend. And it's definitely helping to, like, cover the rent and pay the bills. And it's definitely took it, taking a lot of pressure off. Um, but it's just hard because I was already working really long days. And yeah. now I spend four hours a day cleaning. And then I spend countless other hours, like, dealing with people's requests. And um, shockingly enough, I'm not the nicest, most customer service-based, hi, kind of a person, you know? Um, and so You're like, I'm, what do you want? Yeah. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> My bed's over here. They are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just picturing you as an innkeeper, yo. Oh, it's not good. Oh my god, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. And I mean, for people that are, they're for the people that are like reasonable. Like I'm great. I'm warm. They like me. It's fine. It's for the people that are not great. I yeah. ain't got no time for their shit. 
Yeah. And let me tell you, people are absurd. Like people, they like, really are. Every single guest on every single reservation will ask for an early check-in and a late checkout, as if no other humans exist. You know. <laughs> Um, and then they'll ask for an early check-in and then get there and be like, there's some towels in the dryer. Like, yeah, I haven't figured out how to move time or beat <laughs> gravity yet. So when, you know, like it's, it's like crazy. So there's now like, you get hot towels. Yeah. What's the deal? What's the problem right. with that? Like, is this really messing up your one night stay in my, uh, Airbnb? You know, like really, man? No, but it's weird because it makes Airbnb to me is like Uber where people forget like Uber, you're hitchhiking. You're in someone Did else's you, right? car. Right. Like, yeah. You're in someone else's car. Yeah. They're giving you a ride. You're yeah. a stranger. Yeah. Right. Shut the fuck up and right. be thankful that they're giving you a ride. In Airbnb, you're staying in somebody's crib. You're crashing. You're in my house. You're crashing in somebody's house. Yes. They let you, a stranger, yes. into their home. Yes. Be grateful. Right. Be humble. And Whatever they, you get, thank you. Yes. Like, the fuck? What you they're think? Like, Where do you think you like, are? Where's my wake-up call? Where's the chocolate on my pillow? I'm like, at the Hilton, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> that's where it is. Right. Exactly. That doesn't go over real well, it surprisingly, with people. Oh, that sucks. But um, I did discover there's like a pre-written messages like section that I so I'm like all right what's my better quality is like humor versus customer service <laughs> so I'm writing clever well-crafted messages to help people come to the conclusion that I'm not the motherfucking Hilton uh, but in a nice friendly you know <laughs> preemptive way so that they connect some of those dots because I just don't think people I don't think people intend to be jerks or unrealistic some of them do but some of them just really have really unrealistic expectations so if you set the tone early you know <laughs> it helps mitigate and then i also realize bribery is great like if you leave a joint no complaint you know no. i'm I, not above it i mean not in the political realm i just want to put that out there no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh that's funny um only airbnbs I, I just I did yeah. I did Airbnb uh like when it first came out in in DC. Um this was probably like 2009. I, and I remember it was around the time of Obama's first election because uh uh or second election. Probably second. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because um <laughs> there was like this high demand like people wanted yeah. to come into the district. So I was yeah. like I'm going to rent out my couch, you know um for uh for for cheap and you know helps and it was a good experience so then um i decided to do it again right after a while i quit because it was just too much it's too tiring to like clean yeah. things i'm like working full time and i'm like trying to come home and relax but i gotta tell you about this one uh couple that i had and uh, just speaking of people's expectations and ridiculousness. Um, <laughs> so they seemed nice and everything at first. I think they were from like Washington State or something. And uh, it was it was a couple, um, <coughs> an older couple. And uh, uh, I thought everything was cool. But um, they they. Uh, <laughs> well, everything actually wasn't cool, like <laughs> because I found uh a bunch of their hair like in my personal razor Ooh. it was like really gross like long and like just like caked in there it was what did they shave i don't know but <laughs> they know, did it they did it like... with my razor so um i didn't say anything because i didn't you know i i, I just 
I was just like, I can't believe this just happened. I'm just going to get a new razor and keep it pushing. But then they left me a bad review <gasps> on oh, Airbnb because I had a dust bunny under the bed. So I had to like send them a, a, a personal message like, I don't really think that this is fair. And I was like, really accommodating and nice to you all. And you use my fucking razor. Right. And they were like, well, you shouldn't have had a dust bunny um, under the bed. And I was like, you know what? I'm done with this shit. Well, I would never share a space because I don't even really like my friends to spend the night. You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm not I'm not feeling that. But all this is like their own rental. So I've never dealt with people that up close. But for all I mean, I could go on. I have like. 16 nightmare stories i can tell you and that's just from may four houses yeah it's four you know different sets of problems every day you know um and part of me is definitely very conflicted about it because it's like am i taking away affordable housing am i part of the problem now but like i gotta pay my rent man i'm struggling to survive in this city so it's all it's all very uh it's a daily like uh you know um it's a daily struggle to determine whether or not it's really what I want to do or not. Um, but then, like, right now, next door, the guests that are there are the people that started the Standing Rock uh, protest and oh, created dope. the No DAPL pro, uh, hashtag, and they are in D.C. getting the uh, for the Kennedy Awards thing. And they're all staying next door right now. So That's like, awesome. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, then you get a reminder like that, and you're like, you know, your worlds connect a little bit more, and... You're like, okay, maybe things aren't aren't so bad. You know what I mean? It's like not what happens, it's how you handle it kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm grateful for it. It definitely is helping a lot of things, but man, I'm fucking tired. Yeah. And all I do is touch toilets. <laughs> My hands smell like bleach all the time. I know that I'm, life. I'm obsessed with magic erasers. Like seriously, <laughs> have you guys used these things? The Mr. Clean. Like a Mr. Clean <laughs> eraser. Dude, the magic eraser is It is pretty cool. Sorcery. Yeah. I'm perpetually skeptical of like those things. Have you I tried them? I'm like, work? what's in it? But you know, you know what else? <laughs> I it, just it cleans everything. Like you can spray bleach shit. You can use those little Clorox wipes. Ain't getting it. You put a magic eraser <laughs> on there. Ask Mike. Me and Mike been on a magic eraser habit, man. <laughs> we cleaned every baseboard, every. So you have been on a spring cleaning kick. Every I've, day. I've been on a spring cleaning kick too. But you know what I found out. Which I'm mad about. I'm like, why wasn't I using this my whole life kind of thing is um, baking soda, dude. Like baking soda will take off the toughest grease and grime like on anything. Like I hadn't cleaned our stove and the stove wall in uh, three years. (laughs) <laughs> and i put no I made, judgment right <laughs> for real None. i but i made this little baking soda like paste and i put it on there and let it dry and then with no elbow grease everything just wiped off so wait so go, easily go baking soda and water on the that's it because i recently i too was like what <laughs> is up like, with this wall behind my oven yes it won't get clean oh no you can't put bleach on it you can't use soap and water but the baking soda dude and it like cleaned my whole stove too and also vinegar um vinegar vinegar is dope it'll take off like uh like dirty like hard water stains off of things you can't get they Mm -hmm. got a new windex vinegar mashup <laughs> yeah, this is my life now. I mean, it is Literally the time for spring life. cleaning. It's it the time for renewal, right? You know? It's good. 
It's good. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts during that time. You know, I clip my speaker and I listened to like some, you know, awesome podcasts that really helped a lot. So I'm, I'm grateful for the time. It's a lot of me every day yeah. to just have like a little bit of Zen, you know, in between being like these motherfuckers. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Have you been getting your spring cleaning on Marcus? Uh, yeah. So it's really just like throwing a bunch of crap away that I just hoard during the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, and just being like, I, I just can't take this anymore. Like, ah. and then just taking one day to turn your phone off and like feel like three trash bags full of stuff you never knew you ever had. Out with the old, right? Yeah, well. In with the new energy. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're trying to do <laughs> with the uh, Dumb Trump <laughs> Dumb for Action oh, Slate, spe- speaking by of, the way. <laughs> speaking of spring cleaning. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's time for some fresh energy, some new ideas, all of that. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit more and let our viewers get to know you, Mr. Bachelor. I was, I was, uh, I'm actually more interested in how to get that grime off of my stove, so I'm glad <laughs> I got that before. Baking soda and water. And and magic erasers for everything else. Yeah. I'm going right after this to to get some magic erasers. You know what's great about it? You know, with different cleaners and stuff, like so domestic. Um, You know, it doesn't have any smell. You know, it's not toxic or anything. So with if you're using bleach or, you know, anything with ammonia or whatever, you know, you inhale that and you're like, this can't be healthy for me. I'm near unconsciousness on every cleaning day. I really love the smell of Febreze, though. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not Febreze. I'm sorry. Fabuloso. Oh, Oh, that smells Good, but like weird and chemically, like a it's, you either love it or you hate it, yo. Yeah, yeah I'm, nah. it makes I, me think of like grandma and like come inside, don't leave that door open. And like, <laughs> yeah, but it, it smells good, but I still get the inkling that it's not cleaning anything. No, it's not. I just put a pot of it on the stove to to make it smell oh good. Wait, you put what on the stove? Fabulous. That's got to be really dangerous. I hate the smell. Of <laughs> Love it or hate it, yes. It's one or the other. Uh, we should put it on the poll. stove. What is the group saying right now? We should not, but that is, no. <laughs> I don't, Jay Mills, yeah, I that don't is, know. Yeah, you're going to nah. have like the Toxic Avenger creeping out of your floorboards right. with that shit. You, no. <laughs> no. Like, you know, Flab Fabuloso is suspect because it doesn't say cleans or <laughs> no. disinfects. It says Smells it will good. smell clean for up to 24 hours. And does, boy, it does. It smells clean. Oh. It literally says it on the bottle. It will <sighs> smell clean. I feel like I bought Fabuloso ones, like, you know, just on one of my darkest days, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I only have $5 to my name. Oh. I needed to take care of some business, you know? you know? And that was what I had to get. I mean, every bar in D.C. <laughs> uses that shit, so. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That's what it is. We got some some people that is definitely full of the Fabuloso. I'm not by myself. But it's it's that clear. That's what it is. Fabuloso is like the smell. It's like that clearly dirty bar smell, right? It's (laughs) like, like, I know what you're doing here, but there's nothing clean in this bar. Like like you just put some spray glade on top of a whole bunch of it. I'm not even sure if you washed my glass before you gave it to me. If you're using <laughs> fabulous, oh my gosh, all of these different memories Facts. that people have in a yeah. I so get, horrible. I get, I, I worked in the restaurant industry for 17 years, so I can tell you about some please, cleanliness, please fabuloso, please a little bit of bleach. <laughs> please don't, I'll never go Peppermint. out again. 
Uh, no, no, no. You should go out. Support the <laughs> restaurant industry. Eat food. Support workers. But I will tell you about this one restaurant that uh, closed. They're not even in business anymore. They closed a long time ago. I used to work there. But um, they... Uh, uh, they weren't paying their bills on time to one of their suppliers. Um, uh, what's a, what's a restaurant delivery um, service group? Um, Costco. I not mean, Costco. No. Cisco? Yeah, Cisco. Right? They deliver, you know, canned tidbits. Yeah, and then like cleaning supplies and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so um, they had. Um, gotten delinquent with their payments with uh with them and so they would no longer deliver the supplies that they needed um and so i don't know for some reason we just couldn't get soap for (laughs) the dishwasher station or the bathrooms or anything so um they would just use sanitizers they'd run they'd run the dishes through i'm telling you yo you don't know what happens behind the scenes That's of so uh, operations. So things things were getting washed with hot water and then getting sanitized, but not actually washed. You're not supposed washed. to eat off a plate that got sanitizer on I it. mean, this restaurant closed, you know. So Who was it? Th- this is why <laughs> some people soak their silverware in hot water when they eat at yes. a restaurant, no matter and what then restaurant wipe it off. is. Because you, you never know. And the thing was funny, too, because we couldn't get soap, so we couldn't get it for the bathrooms for employees to wash their hands or for guests to wash their hands and stuff, too. So guest after guest would come up to the host stand and be like, oh, you all ran out of soap, you know? And, you know, we'd always be like, oh, thank you so much for telling us. We'll get right on it. And then we didn't have any soap, so we... For how long? Oh, this was for, like, months. Doesn't make me want to throw <laughs> up, yo. And I, w- I wasn't a manager at this place or anything, so I I couldn't do anything about it. I, you know, we would always tell them. We should take guesses on what restaurant it is. It's closed. So. In the blue. Yeah. <laughs> that was in the Damn. blue. Dodged a bullet on that one. Yeah, they're closed. So Where were they? Um, they were uh, in Chinatown, uh, oh. right across from the Ryzen Center at uh, oh, 7th damn. and G. We're paying a lot of rent to not have no fucking soap. Yeah, man. Right. And the food was the expensive. The drinks <laughs> yeah, were like, expensive. I all on rent. Sorry. <laughs> One chairs of soap. You know. I can relate to that. <laughs> but but that restaurant, like like a lot of, of businesses, you know, I think what their downfall was, they um, invested in like their overhead was out of control. You know, the the restaurant was gorgeous, right? But they had like wood imported, special wood imported from Canada, and they had, you know, um, these one of a kind uh, television mirrors for people, and they had all this futuristic, like really expensive high end furniture and stuff, and really expensive scotches and and all of this stuff. And then, um, you know, uh, over time. They, they built a base at first um, with the restaurant clientele and like with the club downstairs, but then they switched chefs and the chef completely changed the, not just like they used to serve um, like French and Indian mm-hmm. uh, fusion yeah. and no one else was doing that. Um, <clears throat> but then they switched chefs multiple times. So then they lost their identity. They were no longer serving that kind of food. So the regular people that came there and loved it quit coming there. And then uh, I was one of them. It's it's kind of, you know, it wasn't a strategic plan. I think, you know, they're just kind of rolling with the punches and sometimes that happens. And then, um, you know, the club downstairs, uh, changed over management and the management they heard, um, was actually stealing from, 
from them and everything. And then they're, uh, they had no training, you know, for people. So over time, the um, service, you never knew what kind of service that you were going to get, you know. So just I think like all of these things over time led to like high turnover of staff. So as a customer, you never knew what you were going to get when you come in. And eventually people quit coming in you know because they're in the center of chinatown where there's all these amazing food options and restaurants you know to be successful you gotta you gotta you gotta step your game up in the district of columbia you know so yep i don't even know why anybody oh i just um, that's zitania now right uh no, uh, Zitania is on that same block, but it's down the street, and they're still alive and well and doing really great. Yep, and, they are. Uh, and one of one of the best restaurants, um, and uh, restaurant employers in the district, Jose Andres. And yes, I know he's against uh, uh, Initiative seventy seven, but um, the restaurant uh, actually partnered with Rock when they first got here and were offering spaces to teach uh, restaurant workers classes and uh, how to improve their skills and fine dining, um, English classes for restaurant workers. Um, they offer paid sick days. You know, they do things that a lot of other restaurants don't. So I still. I've, fully support jose andres restaurants but yeah they're they're doing well and still open indie blue is not you know so anyway um vote again on uh june June 19th 19th. and vote all the way at the bottom of your ballot for everyone running on the dump trump dems for action slate and then below that vote your opinion um, on Initiative 77, whether you think uh, restaurants, um, tipped workers in, in particular, should have uh, their base wage raised uh, to $15 by 2025. Um, so you have a chance to vote on that. Um, how, how much is the increase yearly? Um, so I, so there's a couple of things happening right now. There's, there's a, there's a piece of legislation that is already, um, been passed and enacted. Um, and this is, uh, past, uh, what year is it now? 2018. So, um, I think it was 2015, 2015 when, uh, um, the first minimum wage increased to fifteen dollars, or actually no, to twelve fifty happened, and then I think in twenty seventeen there was another bill that was passed to increase the city's overall minimum wage to fifteen dollars and increase the tipped minimum wage to five dollars. So that means um, in twenty. 16 the tipped minimum wage was 275 um and it rose to 333 um last year so what is the math on that i don't know it's a less less than a dollar right um so then um next year i think it'll go up to four something and then the following year up to that five dollar mark um because that was by 2020 to increase to five dollars by 2020 so initiative 77 is a continuation of that so in um uh 2018 after the tip minimum wage goes to five dollars i'm not sure what it is incrementally but it would be 2018 to 2025 so how many years is that seven years it would have 
um, restaurateurs would have seven $2. years to yeah increase wages. Two dollars and some change a year if yeah. they do it. Evenly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't know the exact um what the exact uh proposal um what the exact numbers are something that we should all get educated about <laughs> but i want to pivot back to marcus because you're our special guest yeah. on the show today <laughs> we want to get to know you a little bit more and about your leadership your story so people know who they're voting for yeah. on june 19th um so again welcome marcus thanks Thank for you. coming to the show and uh tell us a little bit about yourself uh you're from the district yeah, born, born and, and raised, raised. what yep. neighborhood you represent oh congress heights born and raised still live there actually so. all right congress heights all day long Outside. Yeah. That, there it is. So tell us what's what's so what's awesome about Congress Heights? What do you love about Congress Heights? Oh man, what's not awesome about Congress Heights? I mean, we're uh I mean my, my grandmother bought a house in Congress Heights uh close to sixty years ago and it's just been a community that's uh that's been quintessentially DC, but it's been like quiet enough where it's it, you know, it feels like home, right? It's not kinda in the middle of everything. Um, and I think the biggest benefit to me was like, I just had a really strong community, right. Who, uh, who took care of me and looked after me and that, and in cities like ours, you know, sometimes that's hard, especially a, a city that's growing as fast as ours now, that's hard to replicate, but like having that small town feel, right. Um, in the, in the community was great. Um, and obviously all over Southeast, I mean, we have the best views of the city, um, from, from, from over there. So. Um, those are the, those are the best things about Congress Heights, um, and and we got more stuff coming, right? I mean, St. Elizabeth's is about to be insane. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Tell um, for folks that don't know who are watching, uh, uh, what's going on at St. Elizabeth's? Yeah, so there's a multi-billion-dollar investment uh, coming to St. Elizabeth's East um, and West. So the West Campus is owned by the federal government. Um, where the new Homeland Security headquarters is going to be, and then the East Campus is owned by the district. Um, and there's a lot of things coming to the East Campus, including the new entertainment and sports arena that's opening uh, this late this summer, early this fall. That'll be the home court for the Mystics and the practice facility for the Wizards. Um, there's going to be housing. There's going to be a hospital. Um, I'm hearing there may be a hotel, an office space. I mean, it's going to be insane um <laughs> but uh but yeah but i mean but that also like brings in into uh into the conversation like the deep anxiety you know folks you know who've lived in the neighborhood like my grandmother feel you know when you have an arena dropped into the middle of a otherwise quiet neighborhood um you know the anxiety around cost of living and being priced out is real so you know while you know, we're excited about those investments. Those are some things we're, we're really struggling with. Yeah. 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 I'm curious um, if you know or if you're comfortable to share. And if you're not, you can say you're not. But I'm curious if you know, like, how much did your grandma actually get her house for 60 years ago? Yeah, I have no idea, but I know it's worth much more um, <laughs> yeah. than than she paid for it. And she, I mean, she gets letters all the time of folks who are trying to buy, buy house. her house. But, you know, my grandmother's 91 and she's she like, not I'm not buying, going yeah. anywhere. Right. <laughs> so, so that's great. And she, you know, she wants to keep it in the family, too. So. So, you know, it's, she's been there almost 60 years and her and my grandfather worked hard to keep it. So we're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where did um, where did your grandma and grandpa, where did they come from before they were in D.C.? Yeah, so my, my grandmother came from uh, Louisa County, Virginia, um, and my my grandfather's from North Carolina, so hey, hey. yeah, South Southern family, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, both sides actually. My yeah. my my father's side all came from North Carolina too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, DC is a is a Southern town. That's right. You know, as much as people try to not make it that way, but it is Southern city. And black folks, we mostly all emigrated. Uh, is that yeah? That's migrated. internal. Yeah, migrated. Yeah. Um, up from the south, you know, yeah. so it's a lot of folks with uh, Virginia and North Carolina roots, um, natives here yeah. in the district. Yeah, so. and there's, I mean, that like this, the southern nature of it all. My grandmother tells stories all the time about how she used to uh, work across the DC line in Virginia, and how when the metro bus, ha- you know, crossed the line, she would have to, they would make all the black folks get up and go to the back. They were cool once while they were in city limits, but once you crossed the line, you had to get up. And my grandmother was like, "Look, I'm not having that. I'm just gonna go to the back when I first get on, right?" But but I mean, it's just like just that legacy, right, of how D.C. is has been a southern city in so many ways. I mean, from slave holding, I mean, first free, but still slave holding, and, and just the deep segregation, I think, black folks have experienced in this city uh, historically and also presently, right? I mean, that that's still, um, you know, that's, that's still... Uh, very real. That's still very real, yeah. 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 So... Um, Speaking of segregation yeah. in our communities, um, I'm curious how, in your experience, or what your what your perspective is on how um, the lack of integrated neighborhoods, racially mm-hmm. integrated neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, uh, and systemic um, discrimination in workplaces um, still impacts women black people, mm-hmm. low-income folks. Yeah. Um, how has that impacted the kids, DCPS, yeah. the schools? Um, for for people, I, I just, I like the show to be educational as much as just about our opinions yeah. of the district. So um, I, I think people need to be educated about how um, schools are funded, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and what the kind of system is with that yeah well i mean i think the all of those issues that are facing the adults in our city i think face the the kids in our city 10 times as much i mean when you talk about the you know dc having one of the largest wealth gaps in the country um you know having young people grow up in concentrated poverty is just um is already putting students at risk and affects their academic performance um and their academic opportunity long term um, and then that that really is trickled over to our school system. When you talk to when you talk about the most under resourced schools in the city, when you talk about uh, the least supported uh, schools in the city, when you talk about the lowest performing schools in the city, they're concentrated in our communities that have the most poverty. And our city hasn't as prosperous as we are, uh, and as much access as we have to resources and and smart people and and great institutions. We haven't figured out how to how to bridge that gap. I mean, we started what we call education reform in this city almost over a decade ago. Um, and our achievement gaps, our opportunity gaps between black and white students, between uh, 
poorer students and more affluent students are lar- are larger than they were 10 years mm-hmm. ago. And so, you know, we like to hold up this narrative, which is being very uh, quickly dismantled with the news that's come out over the past few months. But we like to have this narrative that, you know, we're the fastest improving and that, you know, we're making strides. And in some cases that's happening, but where it's most important, we've really failed. Um, and the fact that, and it's most insulting to, I think, residents in our city when our leaders are unwilling to acknowledge that. Mm. Yeah. So I, as we all know, am expecting. Yeah. And so um, I've talked to other um, parents in the city, you know, um, about how do I navigate the school system? How do I get prepared? You know, and um, <laughs> people are telling me, like, I need to start acting now, basically. Mm-hmm. And it feels it feels really overwhelming. But um, so I've been looking at different school ratings mm-hmm. um, in D.C. and in Maryland um, just to compare and, like, you know, see what it's about. And I, I see that there are some schools in D.C., public schools, that actually have good ratings. Mm-hmm. But I saw that they were in, like, Ward 3. Right. And whereas the majority of the schools had a rating of like a um, somewhere between like a a, a one and a five, mm. you know. Um, now, the the site that I was looking at this, I think it was, um, excuse me, great school oh, yeah, ratings. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how thorough or like what biases mm. exist in that, but um, as someone who's just like looking and trying to gauge, you mm. know, like what opportunities and what the test scores are and, and all of this stuff, um, it it's prominent. It comes up online. Um, and so I was like, hmm, okay, Ward 3. Let me see what the housing opportunities are around in Ward 3. And they're already pretty outlandish in Ward say, 4. You where got a I couple million? <laughs> yeah. Well, where's like, Ward 3? What is that? Ward 3 is like, Upper Northwest. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Cathedral Heights, like all yeah. that. Yes. Stuff. Of course. Yes. Exactly. It's, the mo- it's the wealthiest it's, ward yes. in, the, right. in the city. Right. Yes. Um, up by Spring Valley, American right. University, and Cleveland Park. and. Right. You know, so uh, it's Mary Chase Ward, mm-hmm. Councilmember Mary Chase Ward. Um, so I was like, yeah, I can barely afford to live in Ward 4. Like, I'm definitely not going to be able to afford a million-dollar home. I just, not that I don't want a million-dollar yeah. home. I just don't foresee it in my future for some I don't need that. Um, but I want my child to have a good quality, free public education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We were talking about wealth disparity in the city, but they're still wealthier. Like people pay a lot of taxes, you know. So what happens? People pay their taxes and then it gets distributed, right, Mm -hmm. for the different schools. So what happens in the process so that some schools get a lot of resources and new facilities and great renovations and new books and whereas some other schools are like – having holes in their ceiling and don't have air conditioning, you know, like how does that happen? So it happens a couple ways. The first is the way our funding formula is set up. I, th- You know, the way we fund our schools um, really perpetuates the inequalities we, we have in, inside the building. I mean, even when you talk and, and, you know, there's a lot of conversation around at-risk funds right now, which are supposed to, these, these additional dollars that are supposed to go to our most at-risk students in, in, the, in the city and most, you know, overwhelmingly minority, overwhelmingly uh, in poverty. Um, but the the unfortunate part is a lot of schools in low income communities with lower performance schools are also typically under enrolled um and so 
when you do the per pupil uh, formula, especially for like big comprehensive high schools or or very under enrolled schools, they have a higher overhead in terms of paying teachers and doing all of the things to meet the bottom line that a lot of those schools are forced to spend that supplemental funding to just meet the bottom line of the school. And so a lot of the funding that's supposed to go for those extra supports for students don't even make it uh, to students. Another thing is, and this is something that the city has to more aggressively solve, is that you know we have an economy of school choice um, in, in our city, um, but the the majority of, of charter schools in our city are in low-income communities. Ward 3, for instance, which you just mentioned earlier, has zero charter schools, right, um, in their ward. Really? And so, and so... Wow. The, I did five, not know like, that. Right. All I know is, is charter schools in Ward right. 5. And, and, then, wow. and then because our, our parents are really trying to find the best fit for their student and for a whole lot of other reasons that, you know, families being more transient, in low-income communities, um, you know, when students leave a school for whatever reason, um, the money just doesn't follow them, right? So if you talk about, you know, a, a charter school in Congress Heights, for instance, if a high school student is displaced from that charter school after the October-November count and has to go to Baloo, Baloo has an obligation to serve that student but doesn't get the money to serve them, right? And so you'll see a, a school you know, any random school that might have been projected to have, you know, 600 students at the beginning of the year now has 660 or 700 halfway through the school year without the money to support those additional students. So we're literally sending our most at-risk schools in this downward spiral where they can't regain their footing um, because of a whole host of different reasons. But but it's really, um, it's, it's really putting our neighborhood schools at risk. <sighs> Yeah. It feels so heavy. Yeah. Um, it feels so planned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, so, Jay, you were saying in Ward 5, it's just like charter school central. Yeah. So what, what has been your experience with Jelani? Um, his charter school has an ex excellent premise and foundation and program. Um, just a, a very high turnover of staff, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But I've heard that there's this new model that they're trying to do where basically you don't have a principal for more than two years. Can you confirm this? No, no, I can't. But that sounds like the mo the worst idea I've ever heard. The fact is we know that like we know students perform better when leadership and, and staff in the building are more stable. So the fact that there would even be a proposal about turning over leadership more yeah. frequently than it's already happened just makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, that's that's totally like someone thinks it's a it's a good idea to try this and um I think it's a horrible horrible idea yeah. and uh it's led to a lot of just difficulties um and yeah. conflict between the principal and the teachers yeah. and yeah, and you and you see how that, and you can also tell very clearly how that turnover impacts students. The fact is, every comprehensive high school, public DCPS high school, east of the Anacostia River, is now in the process of choosing a new principal. Right, yeah. the principals that are currently in place today <laughs> probably or may not be in place uh, next school year, depending on who the selection committee chooses. But the fact that one principal turnover is so high east of the river. 
but also there's like a 33% teacher turnover rate in, you know, in our lowest performance schools means that kids can't build the relationships, which means they have less motivation to show up, which means they have less supports inside the building. And that's just a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less accountability. I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, the students are just lost. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I definitely have strong feelings about the educational system as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this documentary I suggest uh, everyone watch. It's called Schooling the World, The White Man's Last Burden. And it talks about the Department of Education and the worldwide push to dumb down humanity, honestly. Um, where prior to the Department of Education, you were prided upon being a self-taught individual. Um, you, Whether you finished grade school or not, the age at which you finished that, the age that you start college was a lot younger. It was just based really upon what you knew and what you wanted to do. You know, people at 16 were going to universities all day. Um, Right. Yeah. In the not so distant past. I didn't know that. Yeah. You yeah. Went to college at like what? 16. 16. Yeah. <laughs> but um just just seeing that progression from you being someone who was self-taught, who who allowed from a young age whatever if you were able to uh, under the guise of child labor laws and a lot of other things, they kind of pushed this mandatory schooling on us but it was horrible especially when you look at um with native americans and uh, again across the whole world how they forced people into the school where we learned things that you know in 1492 columbus sailed the ocean blue why (laughs) why is that the standardized testing and making sure that you know that the greatest writers to live were white european men Mm -hmm. like this is indoctrinated into us. We learn English for years and years and years, and no other language is really not mandatory that you that you learn these things. And so, given that, and then you have <laughs> black children who are in this black city and are taught lies generally, unless mm-hmm. they have a teacher that goes above and beyond in their lessons. But you still are forced to learn certain information. A large portion of the of the school is just taking up just teaching them how to take a test mm-hmm. how to take a test how yeah. to how to pass this particular test and not even how to think for yourself yeah. like life skills yeah and yeah. and I, and i think there's certain <laughs> aspects of like that self-taught culture that we could replicate right but it's also something that benefited me right but i mean obviously i had you know compulsory education through grade school but there are also things that I think I think speak to what you were talking about, right? Like the fact that we know that outcomes are going to be better for students uh, academically and professionally long term if, as a child, you have at least one book in the house, right? There was a study done that said if you just had one, if a child had access to one book in the house, that their chances at success grew exponentially, wow. right? And I had a mom who made sure that there were books in the house, who took me to museums on the weekends, right? Those are mm-hmm. those are things that she did to supplement the education I was getting in the in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I mean, I was when you s- talked about kind of teachers who go above and beyond. I always think about 
my t- my English teacher in high school, Miss Jones, who, um, you know, who, you know, we we could have gone through like the typical English curriculum, but you know, she had us reading uh, Souls of Black Folk and Miseducation of the Negro and write all of these like very profound works. And then not only were we reading them, but we were discussing them. And then in 10th grade, we're writing college level 20 page papers on them, right? And and those are the things that that really killed us when we were in high school. But I, I was talking to a few of my friends you know, a couple of weeks back and we were like, what would we have done without Miss Jones? Right. Mm. I mean, it's just like you don't appreciate it, you know, in the moment. But like those are the type of teachers that that really change your life. And those teachers exist all across our system um, and every school in Ward 8, you know, from from personal experience and being the representative for all of these schools. Um, but it's about giving those teachers the resources and the space to do it. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, over the past 10 years, our government has become so prescriptive and so focused on those on those numbers, right? The test scores at the end of the year to show that we're doing something, um, that we've completely eliminated the flexibility that schools and teachers have to effectively serve mm-hmm. students with very different issues and backgrounds and interests um and and i think that that's been uh that's that's been the worst part i think of education reform in our city Mm. i want to um i want to ask each of you a question but i i i want to come back to the question i want to um ask you marcus a specific question just because you brought up teachers you know Mm -hmm. and the question for everyone else is about teachers basically okay i want to know about who your favorite teachers were and like you know what made them a good teacher like why did they change your life so think about that why you're thinking about that i want to ask marcus um just your opinion about you know um teachers it seems like um as an entity right whether it's in dc or across the nation um get blamed a lot for the failures of students mm-hmm. or of test scores or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it seems like um, there's two conversations that I hear from different people. You know, on the one side, people think that teachers aren't valued enough, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they do so much, and they do. I agree. And then um, there's this other side where it seems like um when teachers organize for better wages or benefits that they're villainized Mm -hmm. um because they're not focusing on the kids or Mm -hmm. something like that you know um so uh i'm just curious uh what your take is on that and uh you know what what can we do here in dc to get teachers the the tools um the wages that they deserve Mm -hmm. um what what can we do just to like value you know um the people who are are leading in the school system better well we've got to i think we've got to push leaders in this city to really change the philosophy about education in this city because for too long when things are going well the institution and the system and the folks in central office and the mayor and the council they they get all the accolades but when things are going bad the teachers get all the blame Mm. and that and and it's just like we have to one the city has to do a better job at treating teachers like the professionals that they are. Teachers aren't frontline employees at, you know, some, you know, random transactional agency. These, you know, these folks are shaping our, our future. 
right? And so treating them like the professionals that they are, but also helping them grow in their profession uh, is something that we haven't done effectively. And we've actually pushed great educators out of our city because of the evaluation systems that are really arcane and really harsh um, and don't really um, talk about growth, but talk about if you don't meet this arbitrary benchmark, you're out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's also, and that evaluation system is also driving our best teachers out of the neighborhoods where they're needed most, right? Because if a teacher can say, if I go teach, um, you know, at Wilson, right, and I know that my students are going to be where they need to be pretty much no matter what I do at the end of the school year because they are already ahead of the game. And even if I, if I don't teach them, the community around them and the families they come from are going to make sure they have what they need. If I can do that and keep my job, or if I, if I can go take this more challenging job, right, and maybe not meet this arbitrary benchmark with this student, but get him much further than he ever would have been without me, but I'm still going to get dinged, right? And I still might be fired because I didn't get this student to this arbitrary benchmark. We're driving our best educators mm -hmm. out of the communities that need them the most. Um, and I think all of that um, is, is to the detriment of our system. So, I mean, plainly, we just got to treat our teachers better. We've got to treat them like the partners that they are in this system, not as these frontline employees. Um, and we have to give them the resources they need inside the classroom and professionally to improve. I agree with you 100 percent. Molly, who who uh, was one of your favorite or most um, memorable and impactful educators? Miss Kennedy, fourth grade. Why was Miss Kennedy awesome? Um, well, I went to St. James uh, Elementary School in Falls Church, which is like a super Catholic, you know, private school. Um, and so I had the same teacher for all my subjects for the first. It was like Little House on the Prairie, you know. Um, and most of my teachers were nuns, uh, up until fourth grade. And that was the first teacher I had that wasn't a nun. And so that made a difference because the education was archaic. I mean, it was a, it was a joke. I mean, my parents were paying $8,000 a year for each child. So they were paying $32,000 a year for us all. <sighs> In 1982. I was going to say, wow. that's that's one kid now. Yeah. 32K, that's one kid. That's for a, that's private a school. salary. Yeah. For <laughs> private school. Salaries, yeah, for yeah. private school. And it was yeah. the shittiest fucking education I've ever gotten <laughs> in my life. Straight up. I mean, I went from St. James uh, Saint James to George Mason High School, one of the top five countries, or high schools in the country, you know, with inter-baccalaureate studies and all that. I mean, mm -hmm. I saw the difference night and day. Um, I had a couple good teachers at St. James, but Miss Kennedy was one of them. She taught me how to take notes, and um, she made me super productive and organized and definitely influenced. I mean, I still do things that, like, Miss Kennedy taught me in fourth grade. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know if Shout any of my teachers Kennedy. made me organized. I'm still working <laughs> yeah, on that. Yeah, me but, either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mills? Um, man, I had a couple teachers that were awesome, uh, special Forever shout outs to Madame Glida, my sixth grade French teacher. She planted the seed of loving the language and the culture of France. Um, special shout outs, super duper shout outs to Mr. Wolf, uh, my IB world history teacher who threw the world history book in the garbage on the first day and told us that um, the book was bullshit because the most magnificent parts of the earth 
weren't even in the book. Um, and he took the time to really, truly teach us world history. Like, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Wolf, <laughs> because um, he, he taught it for real. And he's the reason why I'm just so like, you know, forget about the school system because um, he was very honest about the fact that half the year was going to be taught teaching us real history. And then he had to cram the other half of what was going to be what we were taught on. But he was like, it's good because they only quiz you on European on Europe. And <laughs> he was like, this much of history is what they test you on. But for real, mm-hmm. you know, so just I'm, I, he's the reason why I was on It's Academic and just have this love for world cultures and honoring all of the cultures for their glorious magnificence and contributions to the intellectual fabric of the world. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, uh, um, I have two teachers that really stand out. I have actually, I have a lot of great teachers. I can rattle them off, but there's two in particular that are just resonating in my heart right now. And, uh, one of them is uh, my 10th grade math teacher, uh, Mrs. Jones. And uh, I went to, at, the, at this time I was at South Hagerstown High School. Um, so the school was, I was one of eight black people in the school. Um, and she was one of two or three black teachers. So it was nice (laughs) to see um, someone that looked like me that was teaching math too. And she was um, bubbly and made math exciting. And she tolerated all of my questions. I'm not very good at math. So like I have a weird way of like thinking about a different way of thinking about things, but she was always patient with me. And um, she was also the cheerleading coach. And so I don't know how, but she inspired me and encouraged me to try out for cheerleading and, um, and developed my confidence and my leadership in a way that directly benefits and impacts my life today. Um, As an organizer, um, someone that leads marches and rallies and and chants and stuff like you chants yes you you'd be yes i am always chanting the street glambo is out there yo and every time i'm out in the street um chanting whether it's for (laughs) workers rights or immigrants rights or lgbt like i'm always the loudest person are you a head chanter like do you come up with yeah man yes i do (laughs) that's me right here yes she's the master chanter I'm just She's master an MC chanter. Of this drink. Yes. <laughs> yes. Nikki, yo. Well, well, we're marching on. Are you are you marching with us on Saturday? Because you're like. Am I? Get your like, chant on. Oh, with the um yeah. the pride parade. Yeah. I really want to be there, but I'm going to be um at the Kennedy Street Festival okay. in Ward Four with Shout my Ward Four, Four slate mates. Yes, because we know you and Phil Pinnell and the majority of the slate is going to be at the Pride Parade. Yeah. But I'm definitely not marching for miles <laughs> at eight. I was going to say pregnant. we could get you like a hover round. It or is something. hot. Yeah, give me a little floaty <laughs> or something. I'll ride and what wave about, uh, <laughs> tomorrow in San Antonio. San Antonio yeah. Grove. Oh, yeah, Actually, shout out to, that's our business shout out today. Hey. Shout out to the San Antonio Grill um, in yeah, Brookland, yeah. Uh, which has been a great restaurant, a great community hub for a long, long time. Um, I've done fundraisers there over the past. Like, they've always been uh, supportive of, of uh, progressive organizations. Do they have good queso, though? 
they have great queso. What? Uh, they <laughs> have um, <laughs> the fried shrimp and calamari for the happy hours. The truth. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's popping. Wait, wait when's because ha- I have a, I have a board working session before this. So when's happy hour over? Because <laughs> I feel like it's over at seven. Uh, okay. Wait, what All time right. is the thing? Well, if any of my colleagues are listening, it starts at four. We gotta. We encourage people to turn out this Thursday to San Antonio Grill. You'll get to meet um, a lot of the Isn't it Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah, or Wednesday, 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 June sixth, from six p.m. to eight thirty p.m. You can meet the candidates yeah. at San Antonio Bar and Grill, located at thirty nine oh eight Twelfth Street, Northeast Washington D.C. Right pew, pew, pew. in the beautiful <laughs> Ward Five. Shout out Ward Five. Ward Five. The Fifth Ward ass. Five slate is awesome. Hey. Y'all that are killing it. Um. But uh, yeah, we encourage people to turn out. Thank you for uh, for clarifying that for us. Um, we are at the stage of the campaign where we need support. We need people and volunteers to help us cover the polls on June 19th. The more people we have that can spend an hour or two at the different precincts, just encouraging people to vote and hand out um, our information the better so um show up on uh wednesday to san antonio bar and grill in cleveland park get your happy hour on get your queso on and and voting's already started so if if you are if you have any time go vote it's yeah. the, the voting's already open. One Judiciary Square, 441 4th Street Northwest yep. from yep. 8.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. Go vote. Stop by. I, vote, I voted on Monday. Hey. Did no, no line. Did you vote for me? Yeah, of course <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, That's usually where I go, Judiciary Square. I'm glad to hear that that place is still open because actually I wasn't sure since the Board of Elections had moved to Southwest. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're down there. in the old council chambers uh, where the State Board of Education meets, too. So go vote and then come back for our meeting later later this month. Hey. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And actually, Marcus, I want to ask you, as a Democrat, right, because we're yeah. running for the D.C. Democratic State Committee, yeah. what do you think Democrats, like what kind of values, what should Democrats be pushing for in terms of um, our educational system, yeah. you know? Yeah, so Democrats got to push for uh, more local control of schools. Um, we got to push for uh, community schools that really serve both the academic and non-academic needs of our most at-risk students. You know, they're, you know folks, places like Oakland um, and Chicago, you know, while they have their own set of challenges, are doing really transformative work around the community school model. Um, and that's something I've been talking about since I joined the board. And the fact is, like, our city, as prosperous as we are and as many resources as we have, haven't really moved moved the ball on that. Because what we know is that, especially in the communities uh, where where we have the most problems, community schools not only improve academic outcomes for students, but they improve the communities around them, right? Mm -hmm. So if schools can be hubs for those services and those supports that the entire family needs, imagine like what what we could do. Uh, So we need to push for community schools, we need to push for more local control, um, and and we need to push back against everything that's ever come out of a press release from the Department of Education since January 20th, 2017 boom anything so just take your pick yeah <laughs> wow that bad huh? <sighs> you yep, know yep, yep, the yep. community school thing this is something that i've heard liz davis mm-hmm. um president of the washington uh teachers union mm-hmm. been talking about for years yeah. now yeah um and other people as well so i'm all about yeah transformative models yeah. of things like if it's not working like why are we trying to yeah 
let's 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 Wakanda it, you know, yeah. like let's think about yeah. something completely different. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Shout out to Andinkra. Um, yeah. Shout out to Diallo. Shout out to Mamuna Youssef, Tamika Love Jones, um, and everybody that's community school and homeschooling doing alternative educational mm-hmm. plans. Shout out to Bomani. Diallo. Right, Bamani Armayo. Um, it's a really powerful community of people who are. Um, teaching their kids and their kids are all geniuses and to look at their kids um diallo's son has a full ride scholarship to berkeley school of music mm-hmm. um he got another uh offer to do a year at um was the london conservatory oh, um i believe as well uh my moon's son is a straight up genius building robots and things like that. But Monty's sons are geniuses and And, just remember when they were born and seeing them just the limitless man. Shout out to Milani Douglas and her awesome ball of light. Uh, Yeah. Just seeing so many, so many folks that are, that are living that and man, the kids are just amazing. I feel, I know that I'm going to probably have to take my son out. Um, I do a lot of work with him at home and, I, I remember, you know, being in public schools and I hated school forever. Like those teachers I named are the only ones that really held my attention. Okay, Ganner, Levy, boom. Mm. But <clears throat> I just I was so self taught and everybody else was so far behind. I was just Yeah. I was so bored. I hated school i hated college college didn't get interested in me until the last year like so much of the time is spent you learning arbitrary bull stuff i would just i'd read my whole textbook like the first week of school and like i like i'm done i'm done here (laughs) you know um but the idea I, i love to read more you know just going to the library and just reading more i was always ahead 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 but my mom felt like for social reasons I needed to be in school. But again, seeing the community school where it's a it's a network of people yeah. and parents and who are coming together to 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 take care of these kids and it's not even a Monday through Friday or a, a school day. Life is school. Yeah. And 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 to that point, it's like we've got a community schools matter most in like in low income communities, not just for all the reasons I named, but because schools uptown, they already, whether you call it that or not, they already have a community school. Right. Because no matter how under resourced their schools are. Right. The parents have the means. You know, there's a school I heard of uptown that th- the PTA raises a thousand dollars per kid. Right. Just to do the supplemental stuff. Right. But if if low-income families without the means could get the support from government to do the same thing, right, for their kids, and and our schools were open enough where, you know, parents didn't have to go through this arcane process to just volunteer, right? My mom was always in the building when I was, was I mean, she worked, but she, you know, was in the building volunteering, but our, like, we've built a wall um, Mm -hmm. up for, and our com- our communities can't engage um, in the school community anymore, and I think that's that's mm-hmm. also been uh, a um, huge thing. They uh, there are certain schools, more than one. Um, just talking with other parents that have this attitude that the parents are a distraction, mm-hmm. and they don't want the parents in the school, and it's under this whole. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know. It may sound insensitive, I guess. Maybe I'm being insensitive, but they're feeling like, you know, everybody doesn't have a mom. Everybody doesn't have a dad. Everybody doesn't have a grandma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's unfair and traumatizing to those who do not have that in their home. And for that child to be, oh, yeah, my mom is here. But, you know, someone's will never come. I'm like, I don't know. I never thought about it like that. I just Mm -hmm. know. My mom never came to school. She was working all the time. But there are other people whose moms were there all the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel yeah. jealous yeah. about it. Yeah, I can co-sign that because, like, my parents' marriage had long since failed. I don't even know what they were thinking when they had me. So they were never at games. Like, I would be the kid who had to get driven home at the end of the day by the coach because I'd be the last one. And my parents clearly weren't coming to get me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was that kid. You know, or after swim meets, we'd go to Pizza Hut, and I couldn't get anything because I didn't have any money, and I just, like, rode with someone else. And it was embarrassing as shit, you know, and it stung, but it made me who I am. But it didn't, like, it just made me appreciate the relationships I had with my friends' parents. Mm -hmm. You know, like, even to this day, I spent holidays with my best friend's family, and I don't feel triggered or traumatized by that. I feel hella grateful that I was able to experience... You know, like I was a living nanny one time. I was just a, submerged into a whole, whole family. Like, oh, this is how, you know, I did a couple of times. Like, oh, this is how you do it. And I was welcome into that home and I gained so much from it. So for me, it's like, you know, that the reality is you don't have a mom and that's going to fucking suck your whole life. So at least let them hang out with somebody else's mom. Yeah. I man. mean, the, love you know is love I mean? is love. Right. Support like, is support. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. But yeah. they, yeah. they real live are like, oh, no, it's a distraction. And then yeah. for to volunteer, it's almost like I'm signing up to be a substitute. <laughs> like, right. dang, I got to go. I mean, I guess I no, feel safe and all that. Yeah. You know, it's cool. But geez. And, but it's like, you know, it's like. One, as much as as much as the system can support strengthening a parent's relationship with their child and putting greater stake in a uh, in a parent in their child's academic outcomes is great. Yeah. But then all of those volunteers, all of those community members, all of those parents inside the school don't just become each kid's individual parent. They become that school's community. Right. right? And so right. and so you got to have that support system for our students. But right now our teachers, our administrators, our students feel like they're in the building by themselves with no support in or around them. Um, Mm -hmm. And if we don't really come up with innovative ways to bring that community inside the building, I mean, our students who are most at risk are are not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's sad, but um, hearing you say this, it just it 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 um, makes me think of society at large, like our trend with um, just devaluing us like Mm -hmm. as people, as our kids and stuff and valuing more like the dollar or or this this next big fancy thing or enterprise instead of just like valuing the human existence and Mm -hmm. what people need to actually like become self-actualized healthy happy productive citizens like we forget about that we just want the shiny thing over there that somebody else has and you know this is this is part of the reason i'm really excited to run on the slate with all of you um and all the other people because i know that we um as a slate value people yep um we value business and we value prosperity but we value people first and foremost Mm -hmm. you know people's health welfare education you know and so um i am excited to win with all of you and put those people values in the forefront again in the dc democratic party and um hope that we can effectuate a shift Mm 
in, in our values, you know, and, and see a fruition of uh, some steps of transformation on these different fronts that each of us care about, whether it's the arts or whether it's the cannabis community, whether it's our education system, whether it's rights for workers. Um, all of us sort of represent mm -hmm. um, the humanity in these different facets of life, as well as other folks on the slate. So yeah. I'm proud of you all. I'm really proud of you, Marcus. I'm really inspired um, by your leadership, being so young, so knowledgeable. So also this man's an ANC commissioner. <laughs> like, Wait, how old are you? I'm 25. Stop playing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, can you imagine if you were as on point when you were 25? I'm not like... even tell y'all what I was doing when I was 25. <laughs> I know, me either. Statue of limitations hasn't ran out. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was partying it up. Well, you know, you do um, that too. I was <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, don't count them yeah. all the way out. That doesn't stop. That doesn't stop. So I have one more teacher I want to shout out real yeah. quick. Um, eighth grade math teacher. Um, his name was Richard. He was a major in the army, and his last name was Head, and he preferred to be called Dick. So he was major dickhead, and I just want to say for being an eighth grade math teacher... That takes a lot of cojones, so shout out to him for providing countless eighth graders with comic relief with so much material. Ammunition. Dude. Yeah. Dickhead. Major, major dickhead. Major dickhead. I feel like he was just like, you know what, they're gonna call me dickhead anyway. I'm just gonna roll with it. Yeah. Just I'm just gonna it. own it. Own My it. Title it. And Eight name. mile it up. I don't remember anything he taught me. I don't think he taught me a damn thing, but <laughs> Oh, but you remember that. Yeah, I mean, come on. That's like, you yeah, couldn't yeah. ask for more in eighth grade. I'm like, you should have been a fourth grade teacher. You would have had so much easier life. Why yes. would you go eighth grade? Eighth grade's like eighth, the most eighth perverted. Eighth graders are terrible little humans <laughs> at that point. Like, they're literally in a weird space. I love yeah. all kids, but they're kind of a little terrible. They're in puberty yeah. at that point. And and I was the horrendous. worst. Horrendous. I was yeah. the worst of my eighth grade they smell weird too. Oh man! And, and they and they <laughs> can, I smelled weird. And they can smell fear from a mile away. Yes. <laughs> I terrorized one of my teachers. Ooh, sorry about that, Miss Green. Amen. Um, I want to transition because uh, it's ten twenty-eight, so we're coming, we're coming to a close. Um, I want to transition over to our metaphysical moment. With, oh. Uh, the hey. one, the only, the fabulous Jay Mills. The metaphysical. We got to oh. get metaphysical on this show. Yeah, man. It's what we do. <laughs> Let's get metaphysical. Physical. I want you notice I'm not singing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Show. Show. <laughs> okay. Effortless. Um, this metaphysical moment is dedicated to life and death. Um, recently lost someone who came into my life quite recently. Um, she had been a friend of mine through social media for years and years, almost a decade. And um, I knew her through music. You know, people like know me because of my art and whatnot. But we recently linked up in real life and it was just like, I met my long lost sister. So dope. Um, I've lost several people, you know, in life. We lose people. And I've always been struck by how amazing it is that no matter what, you never realize that a person was an angel <coughs> until they die. It's like there's a veil in front of your face that 
you do not witness that this person is real live the whole time. An angel, divine, blessed, greater than you ever knew, touched like by God. And you didn't even know it. You didn't see it. You took it for granted. You laughed with them, joked with them, smoked with them, did whatever. And then they pass away and you see that they were angelic. It's amazing. It's crazy. It's the whole divinity of humanity. It's who you are truly. It's the the truth that we try to tap dance away from and our ego tries to distract you from it. Your ego got you thinking that you're a man, that you're a woman, that you're tall, that you're short, that you're fat, you're a Gemini, you're from D.C., you're t- whatever. You're black, you're white. That's what your ego says. But truthfully, that body stays. And what is truly you, what is truly you is just the sparkle of light in your eye. You are, by definition, light. You, what is actually you, is a limitless source of unending energy. That is what you are. That is who you are. That's who you've always been. That's who we all are. And just like when a star dies, it does not die. Stars explode. Supernova is what happens when a star dies. And the same thing with a human being. When this human being dies, just like that, boom the whole potential of their whole life is seen. Every person that they ever touched is just, it's it's amazing. You'll never get that from this side. You, while alive, will never feel it. The people who know you will never see it. It's so amazing, and that's why it's so important to cherish the day, cherish the moment, cherish every single person that you know, cherish every person that you love, cherish every day of your life, cherish every interaction that you have, cherish every conversation that you have because you do not know. It could be your last. We spend so much of our life bottling up how we feel about people, acting like we're too cool to do something, faking like we're going to go somewhere and sending a like and retweeting it or doing something online, but it is real life over everything for some reason like you know years ago it was like we went on the internet to to escape the world and now you go to the world to escape the internet it's crazy but with this fake life with people doing so many fake things online not real this metaphysical moment is about what is real and making the most out of every connection, even if it is online and social media. Go beyond a simple like to make a comment. Go beyond that comment to share the post. Go beyond whatever your interaction is right now to be a little bit more passionate and to be a little bit more real. When you think about somebody, actually pick up the phone and hit them up. If you want to text them, don't even text. Straight up call. You want to call? Yo, ask them when you can come through and see them face to face. Make the plans. Set the plans. Let your word be your bond. Because we live in a fake world right now where people say one thing and do another. They say they'll come and they don't. They say they'll call. They won't. I'll call you right back. The call never comes. I'll text you later today. I'll never text. Just like that, our power is disappearing. Our days are disappearing. Our connections are are fading. And time waits for no man. So my metaphysical message once more is to remind you of the divinity that you have within yourself with every breath that you have to take. It is not a given. Life is a gift for real. 
It is a gift for every moment that you're living in. The fact that your heart beats is a blessing straight up. And no matter how bad and how stressed and how terrible or whatever your day may feel, you got to understand that there is a gift in life. Human being, you're not just a human. You are a human being, not a human was, not a human would, not a human might but a human being, constant action, constant elevation. It's not good enough to dwell on what was. It's always about what you can continue to be. You must be love actively. Passively, we think that people know how we feel about them. We think they know this. We think they know, nah, you got to show it continuously it's an action verb love is an action verb so for each and every person that you love make sure you show them that you love them if you're feeling this message i want you to text somebody that you love text a friend that you haven't talked to in a long time text a family member that you haven't talked to in a long time reach out because once again you know not the day nor the hour your life your death date is as sure as your birth date. Uh, that's how I feel about it. I mean, I know I can't speak on law on that, but I do know that life is a gift. Just as for whatever reason, we as humans in this paradigm, we don't understand the miracle of life. We don't understand that it. it's a miracle that your face came together all the way <laughs> and your lips are formed and your eyelids split and you got all your fingers and they're not... There's so many things. You, you got your arms. You got your legs. You got your mind. You can think. You have a sound mind. You are conscious. You're awake. My God. <laughs> and you're living your life like this every day. You know, some people just do not understand the blessing that is because you are. That is it. Simply because you are, that is a blessing. Rest in peace to Kate Spade. Because depression is real. And many people think that it's the things that you have or the person that you're dating. Or it goes back into that ego and lurking outside of yourself for these things to define yourself. And you can find yourself lost. Forgetting that all that is is all that is and all that matters is you. You are enough. You are love. You are light. You are eternal. Even if all you are is yourself that is a blessing because people do not even have that. They seriously do not even have a self. They do not have a conscious. They are vegetables on a bed. And that's their life for years and years and years. And that's their whole life. They never, they from a baby to that's it. So for real, my metaphysical message again is to be thankful, be forever thankful. Stop stressing, count blessings because your reality is based on your perception. Misery loves company and you can drag yourself down when you're depressed. That's some crazy stuff right there. But when you are the miserable one, you will drag yourself down. You will steal your own joy. Whew. So you got to psych yourself out. You have to remember, you have to remind, that is make your mind up over again, refix it and put it back together again and remember that you are divine. Every moment of your life is a blessing. You are meant to be a blessing to others. 
<laughs> Remember those who love you. Love yourself first. Peace out. Thank you for that. Really great wisdom nuggets up in there and uh, and uh, a needed message. And uh, it just really resonated with me, you know. Um, and it always come back to this, folks. Vote on June 19th for the party of people that value people. Yeah. They see other human beings as light. Yeah. They want to, you know, put out love and, uh, and mm. you know, just just shine and transform that's what we've been talking about today on the show so again i'm super excited super proud to be running in this election with all of you thank you for that metaphysical moment marcus thank you for joining us on the show tonight you're so awesome we look forward to uh, seeing you at the happy hour and everywhere else folks uh who are watching uh donate to marcus because he's awesome and donate to me and molly and jay check out our website at uh dems for action dot nation uh we would love for you to give us five dollars so we can print more literature but um again thank you for coming on the show molly nick dj mike phillips everyone at the house of one love massive thank you for hosting us as always thank you this is such a great space we love it and uh until next week we'll see you then peace out everyone see you next time